Hey, so we've been in this series called Home for the Holidays, and I want to remind you of what we've covered so far. In the first week, we covered this basic idea. If I'm with God, I'm where I belong, and that's home. If I'm with God, I'm where I belong, and that's home. But then the second thing we covered, and this was last Sunday, is if I'm following Jesus, then I'm secure, and that's home. If I'm following Jesus, then my heart is in a secure place. We talked about Jesus saying, you know, if you hear my words and follow them, then you're like a man who built his house on a rock. And so we just live according to this principle. If I'm following Jesus, I'm secure, and that's home. But today, I'm going to put these two phrases, these two concepts together by talking about the absolute most common phrase when it comes to home. If you go to your Google search bar and you type in home, you might see it. But if you type in home is, you will definitely see it. Home is where the heart is. That's the phrase we're talking about. And today I'm going to deal with that phrase a little bit for you. When I was in college, I remember going through this weird thing, this weird experience. I was at college my freshman year, and I went home for Christmas. And and so, you know, going to college in Chicago, my home was in California. I had to get a, a plane ticket and all this stuff, and I flew home for Christmas. But there was a moment there when I was home for Christmas in California where the thought came to me, I can't wait to go home to my dorm room. Because in only a few months, my dorm had begun to feel like home. In only a few months, college had begun to feel like home. And in that brief period of time, I remember thinking, I can't wait to go home to school. And that was a weird moment for me. I don't remember if I accidentally said it out loud or not, but I was terrified to say it out loud because I knew my mom would be hurt by that. If I referred to college as home, then that means that home wasn't in California. And everybody knows that if home is where your heart is and my home was in Chicago, then that meant my heart was no longer there with my mom and that would have been painful for her. And so I didn't want to say that out loud. And yet, As I've grown up, as I've continued to go on with my life, I realize that my home has been in many different places. And I'll still refer to California as home. And I'll still refer to Lafayette as home. Sometimes, I told you this a couple weeks ago, I even think sometimes of Peoria as home. And I was only there for two months, right after Jen and I were married. But the whole idea of home is something that we recognize isn't about the place where you are or the surroundings you're in. Home is where the heart is. I think that phrase has two specific meanings. I'm going to share both of them with you. The first one is that home isn't about my surroundings, but it's about something that's inside me. Home isn't about all the stuff that's around me. Home is about something that's inside me. If the phrase has any truth to it, home is where the heart is, then wherever you find my heart, you know, the the center of my emotions, the deepest feelings of who I am as a person, the, the deepest identity of who I am, when you get there, then you are close to home. In other words, home is about something that's in me, not something that's around me. But then secondly, home isn't where my body is but where my heart is. 
And that's why when I'm in California, I can think of Chicago as home. And when I'm in Chicago, I can think of California as home. And when I'm in Lafayette, I can think of anywhere else on the planet as home as long as Jen is there. And that's the idea. If, if my heart is somewhere else, if my heart is somewhere else, then that's where my home is. I want to deal with both senses of the phrase with you today. And both senses are actually found in Scripture. I want to take you to a passage that is usually kind of skipped over at Christmas time. It's one of my mom's favorite passages, and so it's one that always has meaning for me, even though I'm not exactly sure why Luke put it in his gospel. But let's put it up on the screen here so you can see it. It says, But Mary treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. Mary treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. What's interesting about that is that Mary has just been through a wild ride. Remember, she was in Nazareth and an angel told her she was going to have a baby, but she hadn't been with a man. And then she goes and she visits her relative and then her relative who's really old is pregnant. And and then Joseph, the guy who was planning to divorce her, ends up marrying her, but he wants to protect the integrity of the baby that she's carrying. And so he doesn't sleep with her. So she's gone through this weird time. And then the, the Caesar of Rome declares that they all need to go get counted. And so they travel down to Bethlehem and they go down to Bethlehem to get counted. And she's with Joseph, but everybody from Bethlehem is now back in their home in Bethlehem, and there's no room for her to deliver a baby very well, and so she's there with the animals, and I'm assuming her husband's there with her, and so she's giving birth to a baby. Her family's not there because she's in Joseph's family home, so her family's not there. She's not in her hometown. This is her first child. She's probably still a teenager. She's not fully even married yet because Joseph hasn't consummated the marriage with her yet. And there's all kinds of weirdness. And then to top it off, she's surrounded by animals, puts her baby in a manger. And then of all things, shepherds show up, dirty, smelly shepherds. Back in that day, a shepherd was considered the lowest of the low, but slightly above tax collectors and prostitutes. Shepherds were always on the low end of the religious totem pole. And now they're in the midst of this room with Mary, praising God, talking about an angel that visited them. If anyone had a weird Christmas, it was Mary. Mary had the weirdest Christmas of all. All of us who are far away from family or stuck at home or whatever, we, we don't have a clue what Mary was going through. But Luke makes the point of telling us about Mary's inner life. Luke makes the point of telling us that Mary treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. She didn't have a sense of understanding of what all this meant. She couldn't have known all that Jesus was supposed to be and to do in the world. All she knew was this was the weirdest night of her life. And she ponders them, treasures them. Because there's something about her heart that she says, in the weirdness of the day, I want to preserve this moment and put it in my heart and keep it there. There's going to be something special about this moment for my life. So she treasures up all these things and ponders them in her heart. Um, She's not the only one either. As I was looking through scripture to find other uses of the word heart, I found a couple really interesting ones and other ideas of this same basic thing. And the first one that I found was from King David. 
so that's kind of appropriate because King David was one of the great, 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 great grandfathers of both Joseph and Mary. And so to have him have a moment like what Mary had, I think is pretty interesting. I want to share this verse with you. It says this, uh, David writes, many are saying, who will show us any good? Have you heard that recently? Have you heard people say, listen, there's nothing good about 2020. Everything about 2020 has been bad. Everything about 2020 has been a dumpster fire. Have you heard people say that stuff? Many are saying, who will show us any good? Where can we get some goodness? And then David says, lift up the light of your countenance upon us, O Lord. In other words, he says, God, I need, I need your light God, all these other people out there in the world are complaining about no light, and God, I want your light in my life. But then he says, you have put gladness in my heart more than when their grain and new wine abound. What's weird about us as humans is that we tend to think think things are going well when they're going well for us. Specifically, we tend to think things are going well when they're going well for us economically. When we are comfortable, when we have all that we want, when we have the ability to get all the other stuff that we want that we don't yet have, when we're in that place, we feel comfortable, we think that's home. We think wealth is home. We think plenty is home. We think having all the assets is home. But David says, They can have grain and new wine in abundance. But God's gladness is more than that to me. See, there's something going on in David's heart. There's something going on in David's heart that even though the world around him might be complaining or the world around him might be in prosperity, it doesn't matter to him because there's something in his heart. His heart condition is in a good place. But David, of course, isn't the only one I said. I also mentioned the Apostle Paul in the New Testament had something about this as well. Take a look at what he says. He says, I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to be in plenty. I've learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I can do all this through him who gives me strength. Paul doesn't tell us the secret in this snippet of his book. But if you read the rest of the book, you do get his secret. His secret is summarized in this line here. I can do all this through him who gives me strength. But it's made more explicit in the rest of the book of Philippians where Paul basically says, because of Jesus, I can go through anything. Because of Jesus, I can put up with anything. Because of Jesus, I can encounter other people's prosperity and not be jealous. I can encounter my own hardship and not be frustrated because of Jesus. Three people. David was on the run for most of his life. David had people trying to kill him left and right all the time. Even after he was the king, he had his own son mutiny against him and try to kill him. David was on the run for most of his life, and yet he could say, God has put gladness in my heart. Mary was experiencing the weirdest night of her life, both before and after that moment she would ever experience. Uh, This Christmas Eve, this evening where Jesus was born, uh, was the weirdest moment of Mary's life. And it would be the weirdest moment of her life. And yet, she had a kind of peace in her heart. 
Paul is in jail. He's in prison. He's in chains. They're in when he's writing the letter to the Philippians. And yet he says, I have contentment in my heart. What do all three of these people have in common? Just one thing. God was with them. God was with them, so they were at home. David said, God specifically, you've put gladness in my heart. Mary literally had God inside of her physically for months, and now she has God in flesh, in her hands, and in her arms. Paul, in prison, he would say repeatedly that he has Jesus with him. You see, each one of these had God with them, and I want you to know that you can have God with you too. Look what Peter says in Acts chapter 2. He says, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. He'll go on to say, And this gift is for all who call on the Lord. He says, This gift is for all, even those who are far off through history or time or distance. Peter says, if you believe in the name of Jesus Christ, you repent and you're baptized, then you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The point of that is to say that God is with you. If you are a real Christian, if you're a person who has really given your life to Jesus, if you're a person who's really walking with Jesus, that's what repentance and baptism mean. Baptism is a symbol of a new life. Repentance is the action of the heart that says, God, I'm ready to live a new life. If you are a real Christian, you've really given your life to Jesus, then God is with you always. If I'm a real Christian, I could say God is with me always. And just like I said in the first week, if I'm with God, then I'm where I belong, and that's home. And like I said the second week, if I'm following Jesus, then my life is stable, and that's home. In other words, it doesn't matter. If I'm with God and God is with me, then wherever I am, I'm home. And if I'm a real Christian, God is always, always with me. The book of Hebrews phrases it this way. So we say with confidence, the Lord is my helper. I will not be afraid. What can mere mortals do to me? What can happen to me? What's the worst that can happen to me? Death? Is that the worst that could happen to me? That's not that bad because guess what happens? If I die, I'm still with God. If I'm alive, I'm with God. And if I'm dead, I'm with God. My being with God doesn't change, and therefore my home status doesn't change. God was with them. But still there's this this weird tension. Because even though we know these things to be true, something doesn't feel right in our hearts. Something still doesn't feel right. You see, we know that God is with us, but we still get distracted by all the crud of the world. God has placed gladness in our hearts, but we still get distracted by all of the other people and their prosperity and when we don't have it. Something doesn't feel right. And one of the reasons 2020 didn't feel right isn't the details of 2020. It's a much bigger story altogether. Because you see, Jesus says something to his own followers that is incredibly important for us. He says, don't let your hearts be troubled. 
You believe in God, believe also in me. My Father's house has many rooms. If that were not so, would I have told you that I'm going there to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me that you also may be where I am. Here's the truth. This world is still not my home. I can have God with me and I can have a home identity inside me. But this world around me, it's still not my home and it never will be. Because Jesus promised his followers that he was going to prepare a real home for us. Yeah, my heart can be at home here because I'm with God and God is with me. And if I'm a, if I'm a true follower of Jesus, then God is always with, with me and so my heart is always at home. But at the same time, I'm not home. Home is where the heart is. And my heart isn't for the things of the world. My heart isn't for all this stuff down here. My heart is with Jesus where he's preparing a place for me. Let me read one more passage for you. Paul says this. Since then you've been raised with Christ. Paul uses this metaphor a lot. He says that when Jesus died and rose from the dead, you do the same thing when you're baptized. You die in the waters of baptism and you are raised with Christ. And that is both a metaphorical thing in the water and it's also a spiritual thing in truth that when you accept Jesus into your life, you literally die to your old life and you are given a brand new life. So in a sense, you have been raised with Christ. Your soul has already been resurrected even though your body hasn't walked through death yet. But he says, since then you have been raised with Christ, set your hearts on things above where Christ is. Set your heart on the things where Christ is. Seated at the right hand of God, set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. For you died and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. That phrase there. Paul doesn't just mean that in a metaphorical sense you're dead. He's like, no, you have really died. Your spirit to the old ways is dead. And yet your spirit now has been made alive in Christ. And therefore, your real life is with Christ right now. Paul would say, listen, this is an amazing thing. Your real life is with Christ right now. And when Christ who is your life appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Then you also will appear with him in glory. Jesus is coming again. He is coming for us. He's coming for you and for me. And when he appears, you will appear with him. We've said it for the past couple of weeks. Being with God is where my true home is. And until that day when Jesus comes back again and establishes his real kingdom fully, we will never be home. That's our true home. So I want to give you a couple things to take home with you. I I want to give you a couple things to be real practical about all this. Number one, I want to encourage you to be a person who hopes for your heavenly home. Don't hope for a good 2020. 
yeah, I hope for a good 2021. Uh, don't, but I don't put my hope in a good 2021. Don't put your hope in a new president. Don't put your hope in a vaccine. Those things are good things to anticipate, perhaps, depending on your perspective. And I really am anticipating the vaccine. I'm going to get it definitely whenever I get a chance. But you know what? The whole idea of putting your hope in something earthly is not ever going to work. I want to put my hope in my heavenly home. Earthly things will fail. Earthly things will disappoint. My hope is in my heavenly home. Number two, I want to encourage you to live as a tourist here on earth. Uh, when was the last time you went on vacation? Uh, it might have been a long time ago. I know. When was the last time you were a tourist? Can you remember what that was like? I remember when I was last a tourist, I was living out of a suitcase. And there was always the question in the hotel, do you take your clothes out of the suitcase and put them into the drawers in the hotel room? Or do you just leave the clothes in the suitcase because you're packing it up again in a day or two? And for me, I've never really thought of the idea of taking my clothes out of the suitcase and putting it in the drawer as being something satisfying. But every now and then, you know, if you happen to be in a place for longer than a couple days and you do that, you're like, oh, now this is home. But it's still not home. Just because my clothes are in the drawer doesn't make that home for me. And I know it's not home for me. And I experience it as not home for me. And so as a tourist, I walk around with a camera. And I'll take photos. Because I know I'm not going to keep any of this stuff. I'm going to take photos. That's an interesting thing I want to see. Okay, nice. I want to remember that I have experienced that. So I'll take a photo and then I'll move on with my life. But I'm not looking to take any of those things home with me. I'm not asking for Lafayette to build the same building that I saw while I was on vacation or for some land mass that I visited because God's creation is so beautiful. I'm not asking for someone to import that here to Lafayette. I know it's there and I'm here. There's a separation between my home and the stuff that I'm experiencing. And never, never, never do I get the temptation to say, I wish I could stay here forever. Because I always want to go home. When I'm a tourist, I always want to go home. I enjoy being where I am as the tourist, but I always want to go home. I want to encourage you to live on this earth as a tourist. Sure, there are things to see and things to do. There are experiences to have. But guess what? None of this is going with you. When the new heaven and the new earth come, when, when we all end up in the kingdom of Jesus Christ, our returned and victorious Savior, listen, that's going to be a day where we're like, okay, I'm glad I took some mental notes of this previous stuff because God did some amazing things back then, but now is where it's at. Be a tourist here for now. But one more thing. Do what you can to prepare. Do what you can to prepare for the future. One thing we don't think about a lot at Christmas time is this idea that Jesus is coming back again. And the reason we don't is that we spend so much time singing songs about the baby in the manger. We spend so much time thinking about the story of the wise men and the shepherds and all that stuff that we don't really recognize that for the vast majority of Christian history, the Christmas celebration was a Christmas, was a celebration of dual remembering the past and looking forward to the future. Because here's the point. In the old, old days, God promised he would send a savior and then he did 
And that means that when Jesus promises he will come back, we can trust that promise too. We're in the same waiting period, just the second waiting period, that they were back then. And Jesus came. And so the Christmas story is proof that God keeps his promises. And so we look forward to the day when he comes again. So here's the deal. The deal is that Christmas should be just as much about the future return of Christ as it is about the previous coming of Christ. And so we prepare for that moment. What does it mean to prepare myself for heaven? What does it mean to live for heaven? Jesus gives us a pretty clear indication of that in one of my favorite passages. He says, your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. So do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moths and vermin destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moths and vermin do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And there it is. If I want my heart to find its home in heaven then I want to send my heart ahead of me to heaven. And the way I do that is investing. Jesus is using the metaphor here of treasure, and it's not just a metaphor, it's also the reality. Jesus wants you to use your wealth, your money, your resources, and invest that in the kingdom. Send it forward for you. If you use your wealth to help a person learn about Jesus, then that person can meet you in heaven. If you use your wealth to give a person some food when they didn't have any food, then that person might live long enough to learn about Jesus and then make it into heaven themselves. Listen, if you use your earthly resources, your time, your talent, and your treasure, and you invest those things in the things of the kingdom, then you are putting your heart in heaven ahead of you. That's basically what Jesus is saying here. And so I want to encourage you to do it. I'll say it this way. If I want my heart to be at home, I invest in heaven. If I want my heart to be at home, I'll invest in heaven. It's one of the reasons why we do the Christmas Generosity Project. This year we're calling it the Million Dollar Miracle. So far, I just checked the numbers before our time today, so far we've received just about $1,000 in donations. We're going to double that as a church. Like I said, we're matching everything up to 5000 So we're going to double that to $2,000, and that's going to be able to take care of about $200,000 worth of medical debt, which is an amazing thing. But I want to encourage you in this last week, if you Last week of 2020, if you want to give to this project, I would highly encourage you to do so. Give to the church. Next week is going to be our Gratitude Sunday. Give to the church, our general fund, but also give to the Christmas project that we're working on so that we can do some good in this world. Now, beyond that, you could volunteer at a food pantry, you could donate to a food pantry, or you could just talk to your neighbor. They're probably going through some rough times right now. Give them a phone call, send them a text, knock on their door. Because when you invest in heaven, you're putting your heart in its proper home. I want to give you one final thing to think of as you take this home with you. Find the home that's always in your heart and place your heart in its forever home. In 2021, I want you to recognize that home isn't the stuff around you. 
Home is when you connect with God and that happens inside you. When you realize that you belong to him and he also likes belonging to you. He likes being your father. He likes being your savior. He wants to be your companion. Listen, it's an amazing thing to recognize that I'm at home wherever my heart is because God is with me wherever I am. But also, Let's be people who place our heart in its forever home, who do what we can with the time and resources we have down here. In this place where we're just passing through, in this place where we're just tourists, let's do what we can here to invest in our forever home. I hope that as you begin 2021, your eyes around you are open to the ways you can invest in heaven. And when the frustrations begin to come, you recognize that your heart is already at home and that this earth is not your home. Jesus is coming again. He came once, kept his promise. He made a promise and he is going to come again. And until that day comes, we, as sojourners on this earth, as tourists here, have the opportunity to make the world a better place as we prepare ourselves for our future home. I want to thank you for joining us for this Christmas season in our, the messages that we've been doing and in our Christmas Eve event. Thank you for participating with us. I'm eagerly anticipating what God is going to do in and through us in 2021. I'm not naively expecting 2021 to be all roses and, you know, gumdrops. I'm eagerly expecting that 2021 will have one thing certain and only one thing certain. If we're with God, he's with us. And if we're with him and he's with us, we're at home no matter what's going on. And still, we can invest in our forever home because Jesus is coming again. Let me pray for you. Thanks for listening to this message from Lafayette Community Church. We are all about helping you live the life you were made to live. God made you. God loves you. And his plans for you are perfect. So if you are anywhere near Lafayette, Indiana, join us this weekend at one of our worship gatherings. And wherever you are, check us out online at lafayettecommunitychurch.com.